So anybody who knows me preach knows it's dangerous if I stand on a platform this small, because chances are I might go dancing off the side of it. However, I am doing something a little bit different today, so I'm kind of hopeful I might manage to stay on the platform. Um, I want to spend maybe five, maybe ten minutes um, just explaining a couple of points in relation to this passage. And then I want us to engage the passage in a slightly different way than we normally would when we are preaching a text. And I'll explain that part when we get there. But I want to give you, first of all, a little bit of a way into this text. And that's what I want to spend this first five or ten minutes doing. I think it's really helpful to know the Old Testament background to this passage, because on its own, a man riding on a donkey into Jerusalem is a bit of a funny story. And as for the waving palm branches, you're like, what bits, what's that bit all about? But when you understand that this passage is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, you begin to understand what is the underlying message? What is Jesus saying by coming into Jerusalem on this donkey? So you're going to need your Bible. Halfway through, I'm going to tell you to put your Bible down, but at this point, need your Bible. Um, if you've got pew Bibles, I will give you page numbers to reference for you some of the texts that are underlying this New Testament passage. And the first of them comes from Psalm 118, verses 26 and 27, and that's page 617 in the church Bibles. I can't get the pages apart. Here we go. So Psalm 118, verses 26 and 27 says this. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. Now, when those who are shouting out in the New Testament passage we've just looked at in this story, when they're shouting out, blessed is he who comes, blessed is this one who comes, the king who comes, what they're referencing is that psalm there. And the whole bit about waving the palm branches, that also is a reference to when I read verse 27, you heard with bows in hand, join in the festal procession. What's happening in this New Testament story is that the people are acting out perhaps without knowing it, something that has already been prophesied in the Old Testament. They are claiming, whether they know it or not, and I think by the time Mark writes this down, Mark knows this, so this is Mark's point here, and Jesus would have known it because Jesus was soaked in these Old Testament scriptures. The people might have realized afterwards what it was they'd done. But it seems to me that what is being referenced here is that there is one who is coming. There's one that the psalm says who is coming. He is, in the context of the psalm, leading people to the temple for worship of God. And these people are waving these festal boughs, as they're called in the psalm. They become palm leaves in the, in the context of our New Testament passage. And this man who is coming to the temple is leading pilgrims behind him. And we know that he goes right up to the altar, right up to the place of worship of God. And so in our passage today, there is an echo of this, that Jesus is that one whom the psalm prophesies as coming right up to the horns of the altar, right up to the temple, right up to the place of worship of God. 
that's not the only reference in the Old Testament to one who's coming. There's another really significant prophecy in Malachi 3. If you turn with me to page 961, you will see Malachi 3. Now, Malachi was one of the Old Testament prophets. He was the last to speak before Jesus came after him. There was about 400 years of silence, which is a very long time to not be hearing God. So Malachi was the last of the Old Testament prophets, and 400 years before the coming of Christ, he, he makes this prophecy that we have in the Bible. And in Malachi 3, this is page 961, he says this. And this is Malachi speaking, but he's speaking with God's words. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So you see there in verse 1. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. I said there's one in the Old Testament who comes to his temple. Not just that reference in Psalm 118, but also here. The one who is coming to his temple is the Lord. And so that also would have been in Mark's mind when he put this together, when Jesus came to the temple in this way. This would have been in Jesus' mind. He was saying by coming to the temple in this way, which is of course where he goes later on in this passage in Mark. He is saying, I am that messenger of the Lord. I am that messenger of the covenant who is desired. I am the Lord who is coming to his temple. And implicitly by taking that prophecy on himself, what Jesus was saying is, I am going to refine the worship of the temple, as it says in verses three and four of that bit I just read. I am going to come to the temple and I am going to cleanse it. The worship of the people is not currently acceptable to God, but verse four of the prophecy, as a result of my coming, the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will become acceptable to the Lord. Jesus knows what he's doing. He's coming into this temple to cleanse it. And Mark 11, 11, we see that's exactly where he goes once he's gone through the gate, which is the bit we focus on, going up to the gate on the colt with all the palm branches waving. Where he actually then goes immediately is the temple. And so I think Jesus wants the people to know, and certainly Mark has understood this, Jesus wants the people to know that he is the messianic king who is going to enter the temple to purify the worship of God and who's going to bring with him this message that it is now possible to have a new relationship with God. Whereas the old worship, the old sacrifices were broken, they couldn't make a way to God, Jesus was saying, I am the messenger of the new covenant. In me, you can come to God. Worship is acceptable through me. And then there's a third prophecy behind this passage. And this third prophecy is Zechariah 9.9. So if you turn with me to page 955, we get another of the Old Testament uh, prophets prophesying a long time before Christ is born. 
Zechariah has a number of things to say that we could um, understand as pointing to the Messiah, pointing to Jesus. We won't go into those today, but I want to look at 9 verse 9, which is on page 955. And when I read it, you'll see why I want to look at this verse. So it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then it goes on to explain that um, God will take away the chariots from Ephraim. He will take away the war horses from Jerusalem. Basically, war is going to come to an end. And it continues in verse 10 that this person who comes will proclaim peace And not just peace to Israel, not just peace to Judah, but peace to the nations. Now that prophecy is important because of how Jesus comes into Jerusalem. Now it's really interesting, Mark doesn't specifically quote this prophecy in his text. Two of the other gospel writers do, to make it really clear this is a fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. But I think we can be clear that Mark intends us to understand that this whole thing was a fulfillment of that word from Zechariah 9.9. And the reason I think we can be sure is the word that Mark uses for the cult. When Mark refers to this cult, the word he uses is polon. There's another word he could have used, but the exact word he uses is polon, which is the Greek word. He's writing in Greek. Now, polon is the word that is used in the Greek translation of Zechariah 9.9, the translation that would have been around at the time that a lot of his readers might have read the Old Testament in Greek. So they would have heard that echo of this word polon. Yeah, Mark is intending to point us to that idea of a cult. This is the fulfillment of that prophecy of a king riding into Jerusalem on a cult. So I think Mark wants us to really understand here As it says in verse 9 of Zechariah 9, see your king comes to you. Your king comes to you riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And as a result of his coming, war will cease and peace will come to the nations. Jesus, I think when we put all of that prophetic background together, Jesus, Mark intends us to understand, is the messianic king. He is the king of the Jews, yes, but he is also the king of the nations. And he is the one who is bringing salvation, who is bringing restored relationship with God. He is the one who is coming into the temple and purifying the worship, making the worship acceptable to God. What does that mean for you and for me? It means that relationship with God is now always and only in Jesus Christ. Because no one else fulfills those prophecies. No one else has come into Jerusalem as the messianic king. No one else has purified the worship of the temple. What we're going to do this week is to remember the events of the week that then followed in Jesus' life. You see, Jesus does go into the temple immediately afterwards when he arrives in Jerusalem. But actually what he does this week is far bigger. He actually, in many ways, relocates the temple. In his death, which we'll celebrate on Good Friday, he lays down his life, becoming the only way for worship for us. 
He, die, he dies the death that we should have died so that we can live, so that our worship can be acceptable to God. On the Saturday, the disciples weren't sure. Because on Saturday, the tomb was still closed. And Jesus hadn't yet risen. And a God who dies and cannot be raised back to life again, that's no God in which to hope. But a week after he came into Jerusalem, the third day after he had died, God raised Jesus from the dead. And in doing that, proved that he has dominion over death and that those who will put their trust in Jesus will not die an eternal death. For us too, there is resurrection. And that's what we remember this week. We remember that Jesus came He came in humility to Jerusalem. He came to prepare the temple for the worship of God. He came to establish himself as the true temple. He came once to purify the worship of the temple. And he came in humility, but he will come again. And you don't see that in the Old Testament text that I've quoted fully. In many senses, this is what happens with the prophetic. It kind of gets collapsed like a telescope, and you can't tell whether there's distance between these things. But Jesus will come again. And he will not come in humility. He will not come silently. He will come in glory, and he will come in power, and the whole of creation will shake when he returns to Jerusalem. He came as king of the Jews, but he is king of the whole earth. Some of us here are Christians, some of us maybe are not. Actually, what I'm going to say applies to all of us. Don't ignore Jesus. And I say that to us as Christians too. It's too easy to, you know, make your decision to become a Christian and then to kind of ignore Jesus. Life gets in the way, but don't ignore Jesus because he is coming again. So what I want us to do with the remaining few minutes that we have is to engage the text in a slightly different way. I've given you content. But I want us now to engage the text in a slightly more imaginative way. And we're just going to spend a few minutes doing this. I'm just keeping an eye on the time to see how much time I can allow for us to do this. Yeah, maybe five, ten minutes. We've engaged with the text in a cognitive way. But this point, we're going to engage with the text in an imaginative way, an intuitive way. Um, We believe here at uh, CCW4 that God has given humanity a rational capacity. We engage the text with our rational capacity. The Spirit anoints that. But there's also, I think, this intuitive capacity, this capacity to imagine, this capacity to listen in a different way. Honestly, with my background, it's one I find quite challenging. I spend most of my time in my head doing rational things. But I've experienced this as one of the most powerful ways of encountering Jesus. And so what I'm going to invite you to do is to close your eyes if it's going to help you to uh, lay aside distractions. I'm going to invite you to lay down your Bible. Promise, I don't normally ask that. Um, But I think it'll be easier for you to imagine yourself into this text. I've asked Peter to play keys at this point because silence is sometimes uncomfortable. 
And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to reread the passage. Um, and then I am going to ask you a number of questions just to help you build this up in your mind. I'm going to lead you at every stage. If there are moments of silence, please don't worry. I will not leave you stranded in the silence. I will not leave you without instructions. And I will close this off in a way that isn't awkward. So you don't need to be like, oh, has everyone finished? Can I relax? Has everyone got their eyes open? Just go with it. I will uh, lead throughout this uh, so you don't have to. So do what you do, need to do right now to become present to God. He's here. He's always here. It's us very often that are not there. So if you would right now, just invite him to draw near. Invite him to help you to draw near to him. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a living word. It is an active word. We thank you that it is the testimony of your son, Jesus, your dearly beloved. And we thank you for the gift of your spirit who enlivens your word to us, your, your spirit who presences Jesus amongst us. Like they said in the gospel, sir, we would see Jesus. We would see Jesus. Lord, we want to encounter him. The one who is the delight of all of heaven. We want to encounter him in the words of this text. But we know that he's living. He didn't just die and stay in the ground. He rose. So Lord, would you please bring us to the place of encounter? As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord needs it and we'll send it back shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem. He looked around at everything. He went into the temple courts, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. So as you've heard that text again, why not create 
the scene in your mind. The cult. Jesus. Disciples. Crowds. Notice the roadway. Notice the cloaks that have been thrown over the colt for Jesus to sit on and notice the cloaks on the road. The branches spread out. Notice where you are on the road in relation to Jerusalem. Notice what else you can see. And in this scene, notice what you can hear. We know they're shouting. They're shouting Hosanna. They're shouting Hosanna in the highest heaven. Blessed, blessed is the one who comes. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Blessed, blessed is he who comes. What else can you hear? Are they all shouting that? Are there conversations going on? Notice too any smells. Notice what temperature it is. Are you warm enough? Notice where you are in this picture. Are you in the picture or are you looking on? And if you're in the picture, who are you? Are you there as yourself or are you a disciple? Someone in the crowd? Who are you? Where are you? notice where Jesus is in this picture on that cult maybe where is he in relation to you and if you can't see Jesus that's fine just right now just ask him Lord where are you where are you in this picture Can you get any closer to Jesus from where you are? Can you get nearer?
notice how you feel about the idea of getting closer. What do you think about that? Maybe you need to push your way past the crowd. If you do, do that. Don't be shy. Just do what you can do to get nearer to him. And if you can now, let Jesus look at you. If you're able to, look back at him. For some people, that's going to be easy. For others, that's just going to be hard, maybe even impossible. That's okay. If, it's, if you can't do it, that's fine. He's still looking at you. But if you can look into his face, notice what you see there in his eyes. not ask if there's anything that he wants you to know right now is there something that Jesus wants to say to you or maybe there's something he wants to do for you just take a moment to ask him Take your time, there's no rush before him. Jesus, we think of the week that was ahead of you at this point. A sorrow so deep that it would be beyond words. As you wrestled in the garden with your father, recognizing the depth of the price that you would pay for us.
And yet you came into Jerusalem on that donkey. You came knowing that it was the beginning of the very last week. You came knowing who you were and knowing what you would have to do to win us for yourself. Knowing what it would take to bring an end to war and to violence and to bring peace to all the earth. Lord, we are so grateful. And we pray that you'll go on speaking to us through this text this week, through the other texts that will lead us through Holy Week. We pray that we might be more receptive than usual to encountering you. And the way you've spoken something of significance to people in this room, Father, that you would, by your spirit, confirm it, confirm it through your word, confirm it through other people, confirm it through circumstances. So come, Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus. who gave his life that we might live. Amen. And so if you're still in a place of encountering God, stay where you are. There's no rush in his presence. So I'm going to invite the worship team up for one last song. Some of you are going to want to sing, want to worship. Some of you might just really want to be left alone. It's really nice in the prayer chapel now. There's a sofa in there. No one will notice if you just slip out there and go and pray in there. If you would like prayer, please just wave at us. Someone will come to you. I know sometimes it's hard to get out to the front when you've encountered the Lord like that. And after the last song, we are going to have coffee at the back. <laughs>